welcome back to the Getting the Cash Flow Game podcast. This is episode 117, and today Kenny and I are talking about finding your criteria. So we've kind of gone through a series of from A, a to Z, or we're going through a series A to Z of you know how to get in the game, how to buy apartments or buy real estate in general, what are the steps to take, how do you get there. So um, they're going in a progression. If you have not listened to the previous ones, feel free to go back and check them out. Uh, but today it's all about finding your criteria. It's actually getting the cash flow game with K and K cut us off. So, yeah, so okay. you know. I think people know the K and K. Okay. We're here. See, I do it and I get criticized, but she cuts it off. So I just, oh, I have boy. to, I got to get it right. Kat. Oh boy. I'll let you have that one. You can win. So finding your criteria, um, this is, uh, you know, I mean, to go back, we talked about, you know, getting pre-qualified. We talked about the mindset, right? So, you know. Filling out your financial statement. Yeah, you, you know, you're probably talking to a broker. So th at this point in time right now is if you're wondering, well, where does this plug in? This is where you, let's say you're buying a five, ten unit property, right? That's what you can afford. You've already met with Crystal. You've already gave you your stuff. Well, remember one of the steps was building your team early on. So I believe it was mindset and then building your, your team. Um, so anyway, so basically where my point is, is you're in the process where you've done the upfront legwork and now's the time to go, okay, I know what I can afford. I've got the money or I've got partners, whatever it is. I've got a broker I'm talking to. Hopefully by now that would be this part. And now you're wondering what in the world am I going to buy? And so at this point in time, you're starting to look at deals. You're starting to size deals. You could be having, especially if you're very, very, very serious about buying a deal like right away, which some people, they with Crystal, they just want to buy, or you're in exchange. Maybe you're selling a single-family residence and going into your first multi-unit. This is the time where this is what I just want to lay a couple expectations out is, yes, you're going to be looking at deals. Yes, you could be losing deals. Yes, you could be calling Crystal and going, sorry, Crystal, to bug you, but I've got to ask you about sizing this deal and this. This is how you're learning of your strategy and location and, oh, my gosh, okay, I guess this area is not going to be a good fit because it doesn't make any sense from cash flow down payment. So this is what we're walking to, but the mindset is that's where you're at right now in this process. Yeah, sort of. So I think um – Hopefully you have been building your team along the way. So you have probably started talking to some brokers and hopefully talked to a mortgage broker or someone about financing and what that would look like. But now when you're kind of defining your criteria, you're sort of looking at your financial picture. You probably should also have your financial statement done. We talked about that already. So your, your financial statement is done. Now you're looking at your financial statement to say, okay, this is my net worth. This is how much cash I have available to purchase a property. What is, what is my strategy? And when you're talking about strategy, there's a couple of different things. So one strategy is what is your property strategy as an owner? But the other strategy is what is your ownership structure going to be like? Do you have enough money for a down payment to buy a property yourself? Do you have to bring in partners? Uh, what does that look like for you? How the heck are you going to get a property? And then also depending on where you live and how much money you have, that's really going to tell you what kind of property you can qualify for. So if you're, you know, um, in a certain place and you only have a specific amount of money, I mean, it's pretty easy to be like, okay, well, right now I can only qualify for this amount. Or if you have partners, great, we can put our money together and we can qualify for something bigger. 
So you first really need to know what you qualify for because you don't want to go out and get, uh, you know, look at 10 unit buildings when you don't have the down payment for a 10 unit building. So that's one part of defining your criteria saying, okay, well now I know that I can buy maybe a two or three unit property to start, or I can buy a five or six unit property to start. This is sort of like the first conversation that you have. And then you start going into what locations am I going to be looking in? Um, the hard part is, is if you're going to look outside your backyard, that's something that Kenny and I are doing right now. We're looking outside of San Diego to buy, and it's really easy to get, uh, lost in where you're going to buy because it's a big world out there. So there's a lot of different markets. There's a lot of great markets to buy in and you don't want to find yourself looking at so many different places that you never end up making any decisions. And moreover, you want to start building relationships. So it's very difficult to build relationships when you're all over the board, not identifying which markets that you want to buy in. So, um, that's another thing. Kenny, what would you say as far as determining location, though, of where you're going to buy? If you don't want to start in your backyard, let's say you're, you don't feel like that's a good market to start in, how would you identify what markets you're going to be investing in? Well, that's tough because, I mean, if you're going to buy something small, I would just buy in your backyard. That, that's just my personal opinion. Um, or close like, to your backyard. Like we always say that, Crystal and I say, if somebody goes and buys a home in Texas, and then you get on one plane ride and you spend two nights in a hotel there, you could have just, your cash flow literally for the year could have been gone. So let's just talk about strategy real quick. Let's say you are going to buy in your backyard for the first scenario, right? Let's just talk two scenarios. In your backyard and outside. So first scenario is in your backyard. The first thing I would say is, hey, Crystal, where, you know, if you're, where do you live? Okay, are you self-managing? If you're not self-managing, then maybe you don't care. If I'm in San Diego, I go buy an Escondido or a Vista or Oceanside because I'm not going to go drive there, right? Number one. But if I am going to manage and I have a family and have a job and all this stuff, and I'm going to manage and I got to go let the tenant do, do all this stuff, you do not want to, I mean, you can go buy an Oceanside and Vista, but you got to realize, are you willing to trek up there? Are you willing to have to deal with it? So my thing, if you're going to buy something, a lot of people do like to be close by where they're buying, right? So number one is, is driving an hour back and forth, maybe a couple times a month, maybe in the beginning, a couple times a week just to get it going. If that's a problem, then you shouldn't be doing that. Um, so number one, I'd say location is try to stay near where your home is if you're managing just for the first deal. The second thing is if you are going to buy out of state, um, which we were looking to, I'll just tell you what our strategy is because I can't tell, speak for everybody else. Number one is Crystal and I said, where, where, first of all, what we did is go, Where's the flow of money going, right? Not necessarily the flow of, hey, everybody's going and buying apartments there. No, where are the jobs? Where's the opportunities? Where are people moving to? What am I looking for? Jobs, um, open arms for businesses, uh, probably a red state right now because of, um, what's the word I'm coming back to? Regulations. Regulations. And then the other thing is, is um, I'm going to be looking at too is, you know, are they landlord friendly? Are they tenant friendly? And then also is when I say the flow of money is why are people moving there? You know, is it vacation spot? Is it retired spot? Is it school? Is it jobs, businesses, all stuff more like affordable. that? More affordable. And then at the end of the day, another big reason is what's going on with taxes in that state? Are they, are they opening businesses with open arms and saying, Hey, come in, let me rape you with taxes. 
Higher estate taxes. Why are people moving to this state? So then we look and we go, okay, where are people moving to? There's Salt Lake. There, there's uh, Utah. There's Arizona. There's you know Texas. There's Oklahoma. There's places like Florida. So then we said, okay, we're, then we started eyeing Texas and Florida. Really where we eye Texas is because we know a lot of people there investing, and obviously it's a big spot. But then we started diving There's a lot in. of people moving to Florida and yeah, Texas yeah. too, so those were... Exactly. Yeah. So we know the growth for rentals is going to be big. Look, if there's a lot of people moving somewhere, that means there's going to be a lot of people moving somewhere, living somewhere, going to restaurants. Doing their daily thing like we do here, that means you. on top of that, you have to have other jobs to service those people, right? Well, That's there's right. demand. Like, you basically want to invest where there's demand. You don't want to invest necessarily in some, like, podunk small town just because you can afford it. You go, oh, okay, well, I'm buying this deal an 8-cap or a 9-cap. Well, you know, usually it's an 8 or a 9-cap for a reason. Um, there are other things, too, in, in areas that you, you want to understand just because it looks like a really fabulous cap rate. Maybe their uh, typical vacancy is their average vacancy is higher. Uh, maybe it snows there, and that's another thing that you're going to have to pay for every year. And think about is freezing pipes, snow plowing, like these sorts of things are all different. Uh, maybe it gets really hot there. You need to think about the AC and what those kinds of things are. So there's a lot of different factors um, whenever you look at something, and they're just advertising this crazy cap rate, which means you know typically more cash flow. Uh, for me, that's usually a red flag to say, okay, what's going on here and why aren't people buying these? Because if, if you can buy an 8 or a 9 or a 10 cap, why isn't everybody going there? There there are reasons. Yeah, and I think the big thing for Chris and I we look forward to is that, but also the regulations. Because some states right now are clamping down. Well, see, I mean, California is definitely it's, one it's, of them. It's getting a little here. bit out of control. It's getting a little bit uncomfortable for people, and people are kind of tired of it. So, um, so what we did is we were looking at these places, and ultimately – I think somebody kind of said, hey, so why would you go here or there? And we said, well, Florida, because Kenny has family. And also, if you ever built a portfolio there, we could see ourselves living there or whether it's part-time later in life. She's like, that's where you're going. And we're like, okay, that makes sense. I don't see myself living in Texas and vacationing in Texas. No offense to Texas. I just don't see it. Crystal doesn't either. So then we go to Florida. We're like, I could see us, you know, you could see yourself if you had to live there or something. So that it doesn't have to be your determination, but that was for us that ultimately is like, okay, Florida would be a market for us. Yeah, I also think, uh, too, you, you do need to think about, like, for us, we think about the management and, you know, if I have to fly to this place and visit my asset, which you ultimately should. I mean, I think, you know, for me, the biggest risk going out of state, out of state besides the fact that you're not close by is having really good management because if you have a if really good management uh, or property management can make or break your deal. So you can have a property manager that runs your property into the ground or overspends on things um, or isn't you know on top of leasing and maintenance and all this kind of stuff. And then your property could be run into the ground. So you really need to make sure that you find a good manager and then you need to plan on being able to go out there. So for us, we said, we're not going to look out of state until we can buy a bigger building. Like it doesn't make sense for me to go to my 10 unit building in Texas or even Florida. Um, that just doesn't make sense. Now, the other reason that Florida was good for us, and this is what I see with a lot of investors who are going out of state, is it is helpful to go somewhere where maybe you're from there, you have other family members there, because then you can kind of like, you don't want to like use your family members overly, but they can kind of tell you like, yeah, this, this neighborhood's really good or, hey, no problem, I'll go by and check this or that. Like, you're not going to have them do that all the time, but 
they kind of have a finger on the pulse and you can talk to them about it. Again, when you go to visit family, it's a good excuse, two birds, one stone, right? Like you can visit family, you can go visit your property, you can kind of check on things. So that makes sense uh, for us. So um, it's up to you in terms of looking outside of your market, but you know, your travel costs take away from those returns. So whatever your return is, you ought to build in some travel costs, uh, hotels, flights, rental cars, all this kind of stuff is going to eat into your cash flow. So you need to take that into account when you're running your numbers. Yeah, and then moving on, look, we got, you know, Crystal mentioned there's class, there's finance reps. So let's talk about class. I mean, um, Crystal and I stick to the uh, workforce housing. So whatever class okay. that is. And really there's A, B, C, and D housing. So class A is really all that new, beautiful stuff that you see with all the fancy amenities, pool and uh, maybe offices and theater rooms and kitchens that you can rent out and this kind of stuff. That's really what class A is. And that's, I would say it would be anything that's built within the last like 10 to maybe even 20 years, probably more like 10 to 15 years. That would be more. And there could be a. something above that just to jump in, like, which we consider like there's class A, but then there's luxury. We think of luxury like well, a, that's class A. I almost think there's a beyond that. It's like this high rise downtown. You're like, it's just over ridiculous to me. A class A is like a nice, big, beautiful, like, you know, here in San Diego, we have um, Broadstone. Yeah, I just think there's some people are like, there's clay, but then there's this other level which is like, wow, that is really crazy expensive. So. Yeah, and then class B would, I would say, be anything kind of over like maybe like 15 years old. It's in a good location, um, maybe urban or a desirable location. It's a nice property. It doesn't have as many amenities. It probably does have like a pool or, you know, in a jacuzzi, maybe even a gym. It has, and maybe it has a couple things, but I would generally dis, uh, decipher a class B as maybe being anything that's like maybe 15 to maybe 25, 30 years old. Um, and then C class buildings are generally what we're, we're looking at. Um, I wouldn't say that that was always the case. I would say that we were buying probably pre prior to this, maybe B properties like B locations uh, renovating and then selling but now we're into C locations where you can typically uh, like Kenny mentioned is workforce housing you can count on cash flow in these properties you might have a few more issues because this is like real like blue collar type families um, they you know probably live paycheck to paycheck but they need to keep a roof over their head they you know if they have families and whatnot like these are the type of people who are probably renters for life like let's be honest these are the people who are probably never gonna buy a home uh, especially at least in San Diego because the cost of living is so high housing is really expensive they'll probably never save enough money for a down payment so um, that is the neighborhoods that we're buying and it's more um, uh, for cash flow purposes and then D properties D I would probably stay away from those are properties that need a lot of money put into them those are properties that are in pretty rough neighborhoods like I would necessarily I would base basically say that a D property maybe like you wouldn't want to drive there at night that's what I think of when I hear like a D property so generally we stay away from those but you want to decide what kind of properties you want to buy um, A and B properties are not going to be so much for cash flow they're going to be more for maybe building equity, there may be like a pride of ownership type deal, but they're not necessarily like cash flow. Yeah. And I would say too, you have characteristics. I want to move that up. So I think characteristics of property look, you know, um, here in San Diego, some people, you know, they buy these properties, they have all these issues and problems and this and that. I mean, honestly, I just really love for me, I just love like a classic apartment building. 
It's like, you know, it's laid out as a part of the building. There's all these funky things and this add-on and this addition. So there's a lot of that stuff here in San Diego where somebody has like a five unit, then they added, you know, they turn the garage and they got another bootleg and this and that. And I know people are getting ADUs, but sometimes what you're not realizing is you're like, oh, it's six units, but there's four bootlegs. And then you go to Crystal and they're like, yeah, we can't even finance that. So, you know, financing is in here. So what you buy, depending on the class, is could, could determine your financing. Like if you like come to Crystal with a real you know shitty property and has a lot of issues, you're not in you you saw some posted. Well, Crystal, I saw that you posted some really good rate. Like uh, potentially a lender's not going to want to lend on that. Well, so. there's a couple reasons on characteristics that you need to think about. First off, if you have a limited budget, you need to be careful because uh, just like buying a home, you know people say it's not just that mortgage that you have to pay, but it's all the maintenance and then upgrading the house and everything. The difference between a home and this property is. Luckily, it's an investment property, but you want to make sure that you have the experience to know, hey, if I'm going to buy a property that needs some work, I need to budget for this work. Like, am I anticipating this? Am I building this into my numbers to make sure that the deal still looks good? I talked to a woman the other day who's trading out of a three unit and she's trying to get into a six unit deal. And she said, you know, back when I bought this property, I didn't realize, like I ran my numbers and I was $2,000 off on the income and it wasn't even making that much income like i mean we've already said like two to four units don't really you know move yeah. the needle too much but she was way off and the property didn't cash flow nearly as good as she thought it would because she didn't she lacked the experience to know when she walked the property that it needed all this work it was going to take additional money that she had to put in and then she didn't run her numbers properly even on her expenses so this is the thing that we want to keep people from doing i don't want you to be like jaded on this experience. So you probably want to buy something more bread and butter, something that maybe has a little bit of upside to it, but you can totally operate and cash flow the way that it is. Um, maybe do some minor rent increases, things like that, and get your feet wet. Start getting the experience. Start figuring out which vendors you're using for things. Build relationships with people because these are all the kinds of things that are going to add to your bottom line. So it's not just uh, the financing, but it's also like having that expertise and that knowledge depending on the characteristics. And then like to your point, Kenny, is that um, when you have funky things like, you know, unpermitted units, for example, it's not necessarily a problem, but it's a problem for your financing because we can't count that income. So you're going to qualify for a lower loan amount. So what you think you can qualify for is probably going to be different. And then you take on some additional risk, of course. So it's something that you need to assess. It's not always a no-go. Uh, but you definitely want to like take all these things into consideration and buy something. Um, the other thing is marketability. So when you want to sell the property, you know, like, is this going to be tough, a tough sell for you, for someone else? Uh, I see it a lot with residential, for example, with like, bootlegs. Like, like when, let's like, when you're like, oh, I got a deal on this property. It's like, but when you go to sell it, the same person's like, well, if I'm going to buy this, I'm inheriting this. I want a deal too. So you got to just what you got, unless you really fix a problem, but then it comes back to, you know, it goes back to the, you know, I'm looking here, it's rehab, return goals, and budget. It comes back to all that. This is literally all in one is how much rehab do you want, return goal, budget. But like Crystal was saying is you buy a property. Look, how many people go and read, hey, I'm going to redo my house. They're like, yeah, I'm going to spend 35. And just like, yeah, I'm going to get married. I'm going to spend 35. Then two years later, you go, hey, what would you spend? Yeah, we spent 80 on our wedding. What, all your rehab, 35? Yeah, oof, we just spent that in the kitchen. We spent like a hundred. And we're not shocked because we're like, yeah, even people that are anal on budgets go over budgets. So keep in mind, 
if you're new, you're tight on cash, the last thing you want to do is get in the property. Like Krista said, we're like, oh, I'm going to get cash for this and that, and it just sucks. It sucks the joy out of all. It really does. And then it becomes a stressor because especially if you're starting um, and you're pretty new, you probably, I'm guessing, have a limited budget. And then now you have this stress in your life because you have this pressure that you have to do these things to this property that you weren't anticipating and it's more money that you didn't budget in. So you don't want your first property to be, you, you kind of want to push yourself, you know, you need to push yourself and everything takes risk, but you want to take calculated risks. So um, I think that's probably the biggest thing with the characteristics. Um, and in California, of course, like the big thing everybody's doing right now is adding ADUs. So that's going to come up. Everybody calls me and asks me this question. Um, yes, you can do that, but that's all out of pocket. There's really no loans for that right now. So if you have a property with unpermitted units, yeah, there's probably a good likelihood that you can um, convert it to an ADU. But guess what? You're looking at at least $15,000 just for the architecture, the architect and engineering, um, plus your city fees, which maybe they've been waived where you're at. I know they've been significantly reduced here. Um, but then you have to actually pay for the work. Like they're not going to just necessarily approve your unpermitted unit the way that it is. So they're going to require changes that bring it up to code. Um, we're doing one of ours right now. So I've spent, you know, just transparently, we probably spent like $16,000 plus they're going to come back. If it's looking like that we have to swap out a window that's not the proper size. And then we have to, I think, like move a toilet in the bathroom or something. It's pretty minor. It's probably our absolute best case scenario so but, but also crystal can say hey we know other people that are like oh it shouldn't be bad and now they're like shit i've got to spend fifty thousand more it's worth it but or, or more yeah but so, you just so, don't know. so it really comes back to it's not that you can't buy a property and buy some dump and make it beautiful that's not what we're saying it's, the problem is if you have the money and the wherewithal great but, it's not a problem you but just a lot want of people, properly budget. but a lot of people don't and like crystal said they under budget they miscalculate the return and they get in a property and they're negative cash flow. They're carrying their property monthly and then they got to fix stuff. So if you don't have the cash flow or something to do that, you really, really need a plan. And you know, when you're budgeting too, it's, you can't just think everything's going to turn out right. Go, well, here's this perfect scenario. Yeah. And it, like, but what about a contingency period? And, you, and I mean, I don't know what you would we, uh, recommend for contingency crystal, but that's. Like, we estimate. Sure. So when we run our numbers, it's funny because I talk to people who are coming from residential a lot to commercial and they don't understand or multifamily. They don't understand that I'm using a 5% vacancy when maybe countywide it's average like two and a half. Uh, they don't understand that I'm using 250 dollars per unit for replacement reserves when they don't think they're going to spend that. So there are things that we use to be conservative because we know that your property, there, there's, there's two categories, right? There's operating expense and then there's non-operating expense. So your operating expenses are the things like just day to day that you have to take care of. Gas, electric, uh, maintenance, just all that. Just regular yeah, maintenance, yeah. whatever, all the things that you need to do, gardening and Everything, you know, yeah. whatever, all those things. So then non-operating expense could be not only your mortgage, but it's also capital improvements. What about the water heater that goes busted? What about when you get a heavy rain and you have a roof leak? What about, you know, when a tenant has a leak in, a leak in their apartment and it, you know, soaks the drywall and you have to rip out drywall and put dryers in there for a few days and make sure there's no mildew. <laughs> we don't use the other M word, but make sure there's no no mildew and then you have to remediate and maybe you have to put the tenant up in a hotel for a few days. Like there's all these things that are non-operating 
expenses that will come up and can come up. So we always budget for these. It doesn't make your return look as sexy as uh, on the front end. So, um, but those are things that you want to plan for. So you can't say, uh, you know, I had a lot of clients like this when we had the management business. Um, I have this house and I'm renting it and I expect to get a thousand dollars a month cash flow. And when I don't get a thousand dollars a month cash flow, I'm going to have you know, uh, I'm going to have an absolute fit because I, it doesn't make any sense when the tenant vacates and I have to paint and then I have to go out of pocket for things. This is why we say one to four units don't generally cash flow because they just don't. But you cannot expect, this is an investment. Your cash flow is going to fluctuate. Just because someone says that you have a return of 6% on your investment, that doesn't mean every month you get a flat 6%. Some months it's 3%. Some months it might be zero. Some months it might be 7%. There's a thing called COVID happens. You might not get a check for, you have a tenant that might not pay for a year. There's tenants haven't paid for a year and a half. So your investment's going to fluctuate, just like the stock market, just like anything, except for you have something that's tangible that you can drive by, that you you can physically see, touch, feel. Um, But it's going to fluctuate just like anything with the market, um, with different things that come up with the property. It requires maintenance. And so when I look at an average return, I look, at a one-year average, but I also am looking two, three, five years out. So your, your return should be slightly increasing every year over five years. So what you buy today and feels like really expensive and not that great, in five years, you look back and you go, man, I'm, I'm glad I bought that property because I'm getting this cash flow now. So uh, this, we've said it so many times before, this is a long game, not, not the get rich quick. Yeah, and the last thing I want to say about that is uh, a lot of people, you know, they squeeze to get into properties and they go, well, we're not going to turn over the units. We're just going to wait, um, you know, so we're going to save up. And then what happens is you buy a new property and one tenant moves out and then they go, you know what? You, and you go, oh boy, I got to do a unit. He just happened to move out. He's just like, Some, why are you moving out? Something changed in life. I just got to move. I got a job. I'm just over it. You're, you're new owners. I was friends with Bob, the owner, for 20 years. You're in here. I think my run's done here. I just want to move on. The next, you know, he moves out. Then everybody else is like, well, heck, Kevin just moved out. I think we're going to bail out of here. Like, you know, it's just, you could have a whole four units vacate because people are just moving on and you didn't plan for that. And you're like, so I've got a bunch of units that need a lot of work. That I, I thought these people were going to stay here for another year or two before I did this. So there is that that you cannot plan on, people just moving in. You know that, especially if you move into it for years, like, oh, the owner lives here? I'm out of here. I don't want him around. So it's just something people don't think about. And I've closed loans recently, and people have called me back, and they're like, wow, like the whole dang building moved out. One moved out, and like I didn't plan, and they did not. They were kind of tight, so they were like figuring, they're like, there and is, look, that can be a good thing. I mean, honestly, oh, those people, they for, hate you. For can, us, we love it, but not. Well, but also, you yeah. can rent it for more money, but it takes money to make money. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. So if you have a unit turn, and you don't just get to take their deposit. There's all kinds of rules and regulations about that. So you actually have to physically invest money back into your property. It's great. It's an investment. I, I'm almost, I can almost guarantee you, you'll, you'll get a return on that money. Uh, the, pro- the thing is, is that you just want to budget. So it's all about budgeting and being realistic. Like when we walk a property, we go through and we say, about how much do you think it's going to cost me to turn this unit? And we put together an actual budget of what we think it's going to take to renovate the property. Um, you can do like a best case and a worst case or like um, we call like just a regular turn and then maybe some sort of renovation and then maybe some sort of in between. So you can have different 
classes of renovations, but this is all the kind of stuff that you want to think about up front is like, what am I going to do? I don't want to spend my last dollar for one, a lender's going to require you to have some sort of reserves for two, for yourself to be safe. You need to make sure that you have uh, some reserves as well. Yeah. And then moving on, um, you know, unit size, we did cover that unit size is going to come down to budget. And if you have partners are raising money, really that's what it is. How much money you have. Yeah. I, uh, how much money you have is really going to tell you what you can qualify to buy. Yeah. And then don't just think that because you've heard, you know, Chris will say, well, you know, you can put as little as 25% down. So you go, oh, I got enough for this. No, it's what, what, what it qualifies for. Honestly, what I see a lot is people maybe that have enough money in the perfect scenario to buy like a five unit. And then they end up having to buy a three or four unit because the down payment doesn't work. So I see that a lot. Um, I don't think that you should have a hard and fast rule. You'll know quickly because hopefully you're looking at these deals and getting the practice and sizing them and you're talking to your mortgage broker and they're letting you know what you can qualify for. But if you're trying to buy your first apartment building, you definitely want to be talking with a mortgage broker, having them size a handful of deals for you so that way you can get kind of a good feel for what you can qualify for. And you're going to arrive at the determination pretty quickly of like, yeah, I can buy a five or six unit deal or you know what? I think just to make it easier, I'm going to have to try to buy a four unit, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, what are the next step after this? You know, your personal financial statement should be ready. Your funds should be ready from you or your partners. And you kind of, look, you've got your strategy, you got your location, you know, the financing, you got the, you got kind of your money you're going to have, how much you can raise or you have personally. And now it's time to start looking for deals. And when you start looking for deals, um, yeah, like I said, you will be talking to your broker a lot. You'll be talking to, if it's Crystal or whoever, your bank, your broker, your lender a lot. And that's going to be it. And then, you know, hopefully lock in the deal. Yep, that's pretty much the next steps from here. I mean, and this is pretty much to this point gotten you prepared. Uh, we've talked about your mindset. We've talked about building your team. We've talked about um, getting pre-approved. Getting, getting and now we're talking about finding your criteria. Now the next step really is that you're looking for deals and you kind of have your money ready. Your money's kind of ready to go. It's on the sidelines and you're looking for deals. So that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode too. So guys, thanks for listening. Um, please share. Um, please leave a comment. Please give us a five-star rating. And we appreciate you watching, listening. And like Crystal said, the next time you hear us will be about finding deals and how to find this podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.